178 of the Customer Support Leaders podcast. I'm Charlotte Ward. Today, I welcome Craig Stoss as the host of the show. Hello, and at this point, I'd normally say welcome to the podcast to my very good friend, Craig Stoss, but... That is not how it plays out in these episodes. Craig, you're the host today. Hello. Hello. Thanks. Uh, uh, well, I guess I'll say thanks for having me, but also uh, thanks for being here. <laughs> <laughs> thanks for having me. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, I'll steal your microphone today. Uh, something that I'm always passionate about is just how support fits into an organization. You know, often we're we're seen as kind of this post-sale do their own thing, support the, the customer's department. And, and that's one thing that I just don't think fits into modern day support paradigms. We, we need to act cross-functionally. We need to interact with sales and marketing and uh, product and, and customer success and probably implementation and training and all sorts of different teams, um, knowledge management. I mean, the list could go on. And so what I thought I would talk about today with you is, is support collaboration and, and how you see support fitting into a cross-functional collaborative organization. So maybe we'll start with that is, is what do you think the most important collaborations are for a support team within a company? Oh, um, I, well, you know, a little depends on what the organization is producing, I suppose. Right. But for me, from a technical point of view, uh, it would almost always be primarily with product. I think that's just the the single best investment you can make in in terms of like how you communicate with any other part of the organization, how you how efficient those communications are and how effective they are. Um, and um, I don't think it's necessarily that obvious when you think of how customer support might otherwise sit probably alongside other parts of a services organization, say, or a success organization. Um, it's, it's very clearly a, like a highly non-commercial relationship between support and product. But I think that that does actually make it relatively easy to operationalize and relatively easy to find alignment in. Yeah, that's true. I, I think that it starts off as a, as a non-commercial relationship. I, I'm curious though, if it has to be, I mean, their support has such insight into the types of problems that, that exist within the product, the, the types of minor concerns and major ones that exist. Um, maybe, maybe, but whether they be bugs or whether they just be UI type things or feature set type things, do you do you think there's an element of your product seeing support as a proper feeding organization for requirements into the future of the product? Well, that's the pipe dream, isn't it? Right. I, I think that's the <laughs> that's the ideal. Yeah. Um, and I know it's something that I've tried to implement everywhere I've been. Is like let's just make this as as uh, as smooth a transition from customer to product as possible, from mouth of the customer into roadmap of product. I mean, there you know, um, and yeah, I mean, I th- I think that um, a- anything we can do to enable that is is all to the good. And I think that in doing that, you you. 
in a, I, I want to say inadvertently, but that's not really the point. That's very, very far from the point, actually. Um, but almost inadvertently, it's it's a it's an intentional byproduct of a great relationship there that you build a, cust- a product that your customers want, and therefore that your prospects want as well. I think that's absolutely true. Um, beyond product, do you, do you think that's also true with the way support is sold to customers or the way support is handled, for example, when when there needs to be a handoff between a success or implementation team um, to, to solve a, a technical problem? Well, I, I know that certainly in B2B, the way that support is sold is very different from the way it's sold in inverted yeah. quotes in, in B2C, you know, or, or sort of more at the SMB level, perhaps. Um, I had a conversation with somebody who we <laughs> who joined our organization as a, a, a account exec just recently. Um, everyone who joins the organization gets an intro to all of the business functions. So they sit down with the head of every business function. And uh, this account exec said, uh, you know, what would you what would you like me to do when I go out selling to customers? I said, just don't sell support that we don't offer. <laughs> <laughs> just sell what like we actually a, do. <laughs> it seems like such a simple rule, right? It's yeah. <laughs> just don't <What>? sell shit. <laughs> no, I can't swear on my own podcast. <laughs> just don't sell stuff we don't do like it's just such a basic request but but yeah i i think that that's the fear of every support organization isn't it that that we're going to be left with clients who have inflated expectations and i think we've all support leaders have all experienced something like that right and and i'm wondering if is that partly because we don't tend to collaborate enough. We don't share what we do enough. We don't, you know, we don't share what the product does. We're not involved sooner in the sales process for B2B, clearly for, for B2C, it might, it might be vastly different here. But mm-hmm. I wonder if that's a function of this separation that we've built between the sales team and, and the support team. I think it I think it definitely is. And I would go a stage further and just and, and say that it's also a function of not being any not not being a driving force in that relationship it's not it's not even a separation it's like you can be very communicative with someone and still be largely the recipient of what they produce um even if you have a great relationship with your sales team but actually to be um you know to be a strong half <laughs> in that relationship i think i think requires support leaders and customer officers to define what it is and this is what we've done um where i am now at snowplow define what it is and what it means to deliver the service that you are delivering or the service and or the service that you want to deliver define it and stand by it of course make it saleable (laughs) otherwise (laughs) defeats the point somewhat but but i think define it and stand by it and um yeah, no, I, I think you know, this does, obviously, it's not just the, uh, it's not just on the um, shoulders of a, a humble head of support like myself. This is something that does require buy-in and sponsorship and leadership um, throughout the senior leadership in any organization, right? But if if you have a strong definition of what 
the services are that you offer through any part of that customer organization, support or success or professional services, if you're doing that, um, then you have something you can stand by. It's, it is effectively in black and white, you know, uh, and I think then it is very clear. It's very, you can, you can produce collateral to sell from that. You can, there is no ambiguity around what X, Y, or Z means in terms of the scope of what you do and how you deliver it. Um, and then it's easy to sell as well because salesmen aren't out there just making stuff up. <laughs> and, and I think, frankly, you know, I think the 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 sales guys I've spoken to, by and large, are thankful for this because support is such a black box quite often. You know, they know that they when they finish with the sale, that's who customers are by and large going to speak to next, but they don't really understand what that means and what we do unless we tell them. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. I want to touch on, you said buy-in. I I recently had a really interesting conversation with another support leader that talked a lot about crisis management. And, and it was in the, in this, the theme of support needs to permeate all your departments such that if there is a crisis, you know, more people are enabled to speak to current statuses or, or be able to direct uh, customer calls or inquiries uh, correctly, because, you know, it could be a salesperson on the phone where, where something is, is happening, or it could be a success person or an implementation person. Heck, it could be your front desk, you know, staff that, that are getting these phone calls. Um so, but that requires a, a big amount of buy-in because someone needs to buy into the fact that everyone should always be there to serve the customer. Do you think that's reasonable? Do you think it's reasonable to assume that that there's some level of being able to support customers even when you're not in a support department? I think so. I, I think everyone should know how to help a customer that lands on their desk, right? whether it's the the physical or metaphorical reception desk <laughs> or or whether it's you know lands on the desk of a ceo somewhere and anywhere in between i think that um it is part of support leadership's role to ensure that they enable anyone in the organization to help the customer find solutions um and you know and Again, I mean, there's so much variance, but to me, at a bare minimum, that means giving everyone in your organization the phone number, (laughs) right? And I think, uh, I yeah, I think you know, and then uh, I think as far as you want to take that, right, up to all hands support, you know. But I've kind of written about this before when um, I have, I strongly believe that the customer who comes to you is your customer and that you are responsible you are responsible for getting them the solution you might not actually provide and work through the solution for them but you're responsible for getting them to a solution um i it's very very controllable entirely within the support team but in the wider organization i think it is our role to enable that as much as we can when um i learned this in a when i was 15 <laughs> lot of years ago. <laughs> I wasn't going to say that. <laughs> it, I, I tell you what, Craig, it was more than four years ago. Um, <laughs> um, when I was 15, I had a Saturday job at the local s- supermarket, we'd call it here in the UK, like a 
a big store, you know, typical kind of big store, lots of like fruit at the front, bakery at the back, pharmacist, all like 20 aisles in between of, of groceries. And uh, I went to work there every Saturday and I was onboarded in inverted quotes <laughs> over the course of a couple of shifts, learning how, learning how to use the checkout and everything. Um, <clears throat> but even back then, all those more than four years ago, they um, <laughs> they uh, they said to me, um, "You're young. There's going to be a lot of questions asked for from you, asked of you in this shop that you do not know the answers to. Um, customers are going to walk up to you because you're wearing the uniform, and they're going to ask you, "Does asparagus go with gravy?" I, I don't know. I don't know why. I'm kind of, this this was England in in more than four years ago. So <laughs> entirely, <laughs> it was an entirely different world. I can tell you that. And and I was young. I'd never cooked asparagus with gravy. How would I know, right? Um, but what this um, lovely old older checkout woman trainer <laughs> said to me at the time was, "You won't know all the answers, but what you can do." is take the customer to the place where they can get the answers and stay with them and learn. And, and, and I, she physically demonstrated to me how to do it. <laughs> we had this kind of whole scenario. She was a pretend customer. She would walk in the shop, ask me a question, and I would have to walk with her across this pretend shop kind of training floor to somebody else waiting at the other end who was another member of staff and they would be able to answer the asparagus and gravy question. And I would stand there and listen, you know, and, and the point that the point that was being very, very um, actively demonstrated to me was that I, that customer is my customer at that moment. I'm helping them, even if I don't have the answer. And this is a really long story, but, but for the fact that I think it very capably demonstrates that I think you can, you can with the right, expectations and and the right enablement yeah no i mean so those kind of behaviors across the organization right i i completely agree right i think that i have very much the same mindset that that you have to take ownership over a problem and you know you as exactly you said you might not be the person to solve actually provide the answer but be there to find out uh, how to guide the, the customer to the right place um you know i had a scenario you know where support itself wasn't very collaborative. And, and by that, uh, it was a, a job many years ago where uh, a bug a bug bounty, a, a you know, white hat hacker had found a serious defect in our product, a security defect. And they tried to email us while well, we had no email address and support. They tried to phone us while well, you needed to type in a customer number before you could get to do support. And of course, this was not a customer. Um, and eventually this person emailed the CEO of the company because the CEO's email was publicly available and basically said, I found this, this massive bug. Um, I want to tell you, I want to do the right thing. And there's no way for me to do it. And, and the CEO kind of sent an email to all the leadership and said, I don't care what you do, but figure out how to make this work. And uh, I, I, I feel like that's a great example of where support sometimes blindsides themselves and, and says, well, you know, we want to do very fancy IVR routing of tickets but by doing so, we're blocking out an entire segment of of potential customers, or or potentially even customers, to you know who don't have access to whatever that number might be, or or whatever it is. Yeah. Um, 
so how how do you balance that type of thing when it comes to um being there for for everyone who wants to talk to you um because you probably are the right entry point but again you're not going to solve this this massive critical defect that comes to you but but you are the logical entry point Where, where's the balance there from a support perspective yeah that's a really hard one to answer isn't it i think you know i the, the reason that i think that is hard to answer is because i think we we do have to provide some guardrails to support because otherwise how will we I, I, I like I do not know how people who provide like social support to the whole world ever ever do capacity planning <laughs> in my mind in my I mean that to me it must be like witchcraft <laughs> um, <laughs> I don't understand it and I'll be upfront about that but I, I think in my world I have to provide some guardrails about who and what and how we provide support um, because otherwise I can't resource it properly. Um, but I think I, I think that there is a uh, I think that there is a big piece here about maybe about um, having specific types and specific channels available to those customers who are paying you um, or who have for one reason or another have the right to a certain level of access or to a certain level of expertise or whatever. But I, I think that there's more than one way to skin a cat, right? I think that you can provide support and it doesn't all have to come through your support at email address or through your portal. Um, and it, neither actually does it all have to come through your support team. And I've seen companies have great success in like allowing customers to provide support to each other, obviously a lot of community building and things like that. Um or providing different levels of support, as we've talked about before. You know, you have some people who are skilled in a certain way to provide a, a level of support through social, and then you have more skilled in a different channel. The thing, the thing that I'm always nervous about when you start segmenting like that, um, and also by its very nature, therefore, ring-fencing part of support, is avoiding the perception that the customer has come through to the wrong person in inverted quotes when they try and contact you because I don't think it's the customer's job to know how they should contact you and and I don't know if I have the answer to that yet except to say that I would avoid anything that when you respond to those customers suggests that they have done something wrong yeah um yeah, yeah. <laughs> so you know so when that customer comes in I'm sorry you've come through on support at because uh, but this is only available for this this class customer can i direct you to and just send them away elsewhere with their tail between their legs i don't think that's the right way to go about it i mean i have a class example of that i worked at a company that had the same name uh the software software company that had the same name as a t-shirt company and so we would oh. always get emails to our support line about missing t-shirt shipments and misprinted t-shirts <laughs> yeah. And, and we uh, we actually ended up because of that exact thing, not wanting just to tell the customer you're wrong. We actually had a macro in place to say, you know, we are not a T-shirt company. Here is the URL you're looking for. Here's the email address, the phone number. Like we actually maintained macro to direct the the customers yeah. <laughs> appropriately for for supporting a different product. Yeah. Um, there, you, you touched on a couple of things that align to 
external collaboration. So you talk about social media, which not often is in support. Mm. It's, it's sometimes an external department. Um, I would, I would throw into the loop there, you know, any sort of outsourcing or BPO companies you deal with Mm. uh, for, for your support services. Uh, Maybe what, could you talk a little bit about collaboration with that to make sure that all of those teams are aligned to the support mission um, and are working together? I I think, again, I don't have a great deal of exposure to social support, so I'll be upfront there. But I I think like if I was to try and answer this briefly um, across all of those relationships, all of those types of external providers of support to our own client base, I think it just has to come back to that definition again, right? I think it has to just come back to a very clear understanding of what it is your service means to your customers. And if you have that clearly defined and what value it brings to your customers and and how you deliver it and how you expect those external providers to deliver it, I think if you have all of that very well defined, I think that enables the relationship. So yeah, so yes, setting up that uh, that vision and that alignment is is critical. Maybe maybe we'll end on how what what's your brief advice to all our listeners here on how to build those relationships and make sure that all the stuff we just talked about the collaboration works. I think it would be it would center around I think three things. What one would be the definition that we just talked about, so I won't harp on about that too much again. Secondly, I would say that it's uh, it, it's very much working those relationships in two directions, considering every single one of those relationships to be a loop. You know, th- this isn't just you pushing stuff out, or it it's it's finding ways that you can give and receive <laughs> and from their perspective therefore they are giving and receiving and, and it it becomes this just kind of um positively charged loop of communication and collaboration and and the very final thing i would say is to dedicate time to it don't just expect it to happen and don't just expect it to happen on the basis of one email um, i would dedicate time both in terms of like expected uh, mature, like t- expected time to mature these relationships, but but actually also just invest time in the day, in the week, to build and continue to iterate on on the the mechanics and the quality and the operationalization of those relationships. And I think I think it's all three of those things that I think can speak to any of the relationships we talked about. That, that's. All insightful, as always. Great conversation. Thanks. Uh, thanks for allowing me to steal your microphone. <laughs> Thank you so much for having me, Craig. <laughs> <laughs> it's so odd. Thanks for coming. <laughs> That's it for today. Go to customersupportleaders.com forward slash 178 for the show notes. And I'll see you next time.